I'm looking for similarities in the way troublemakers think. This is Steve Sinclair, co-founder of Trouble Group. Join me as I learn from others who are shaking things up. Global Threat Solutions is a dynamic and multidimensional investigative and intelligence firm that provides comprehensive investigative solutions and a broad spectrum of security training and consulting products. They provide solutions to the increasingly demanding security, investigative, and training needs of organizations in the modern world. In other words, when things get dangerous, Ken and his company are the ones you want on your side. Ken Bombay is CEO of Global Threat Solutions. Welcome, Ken. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Well, so tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure. Uh, first, I want to thank you for having me on Troublemakers. I think the idea you came up with for this podcast is innovative in itself. Thank you. It really serves as a great conduit for sharing ideas, for starting and growing businesses, regardless of what industry someone's in, not just like mine in the protection industry. Well, thank you. That's awesome. Yep. Uh, so I, I'll start with where I'm from. I'm from New York, Long Island specifically, and I'm uh, married with two boys, ages 19 and 20. So I have an extensive military and law enforcement background. Uh, it's really served as the foundation, actually, for my entrepreneurial endeavor. I wanted to be a soldier and a police officer, I can tell you, since I was five years old. Pretty much as long as I can remember life, I've wanted to be a police officer and a soldier. That's great. Yeah. One thing I have going for me is I've, I've always been someone who knows what I want to do. I know a lot of people are kind of lost, especially when you get to the college years. I, I've known since I'm little. Yeah. So, yeah, that worked out. I got picked up the next day and I joined. The day after my graduation from high school, the very next morning, I left for the Army, Fort Benning, Georgia, where I went to my infantry training. And then I went to uh, I was assigned to Mainz, Germany, uh, 1988 to 1990. And I was an infantry team leader. And I can tell you it was a great time to be there. President Reagan was uh, was still the president at that time. And I was there mm-hmm. during the fall of the Berlin Wall, which occurred in 1989. So it was very exciting times. That is cool. Then after the Army, I attended uh, State University of New York at Stony Brook, where I got my BA in political science. And after that, shortly after graduating, I was hired as a deputy sheriff in Suffolk County. And I served in various capacities while there for over seven years. One of the things I did while I was there, in addition to my different job functions, I served at the as part of the rescue efforts at Ground Zero after the attacks in 9-11. That was an important uh, role to fill. Yeah. Yep. So I got to my second dream, which was law enforcement now. And then about seven years there, I switched to the Suffolk County Police Department, which is actually one of the police de- largest police departments in the country with over 2,600 sworn officers. I had to go back to the entire police academy, the same one, a second time. It was just a technicality. And as soon as I graduated the second time, I was deployed with the Army National Guard. I had as a deputy sheriff, I also went back into officer candidate school and went back in the military in the National Guard, became commissioned as a military intelligence officer. So then in 2003, when I had switched, went to the academy, I got deployed immediately after graduation. So... In 2004, after uh, when I got deployed, it was part of Operation Iraqi Freedom. And uh, I was a captain at the time now in the military intelligence branch for the Army National Guard. And it was pretty interesting because the New York Army National Guard, you know, at the time, um, the states all have uh, many states in the country will have Army National Guard infantry divisions. And they were all kind of vying to be the first National Guard 
infantry division to deploy to a theater of war since World War II. Wow. And because of the attacks on 9-11, they chose New York. And I was proud to have been a part of that. And my mission there was a pretty interesting one. I was initially just assigned to the division into uh, 642nd Military Intelligence Battalion, which is at the division headquarters. Kind of boring for a guy like me, but they quickly chose me to lead a mission to build a police department in Samara, Iraq. And to give you a little idea, Samara was a very unique city. It was a lawless city. What happened was when we first went into Iraq, they thought that we had secured the city and put a civilian police force in charge. And then when the army, the U.S. Army pulled out of there, they almost immediately, if you remember some of the news stories at the time, they dragged all the police into the streets. They beheaded them. They lit them on fire. They killed all the police in Samar. Oh, God. Yes. I, re- I remember all that. Horrible. Yep. It was horrible. So I, uh, I, but, but someone who really, this was my, uh, the adventure I'd wait, I'd waited for since I was a, a little boy. So for me, I was leading troops and, uh, this was a mission that I was excited about taking on. And, uh, it was a challenging one. Uh, there's so many stories I could tell you about what went on there. Just one specific was that, um, there's a place in Samarra called the Golden Mosque, which is critical in Iraq because it was the largest Shia um, religious site in what was mostly um, a Sunni city. And there had been previously atta- attempts to attack it. And I, I had collected intelligence that somebody was planning an attack late at night and they were going to blow up the Golden Mosque. And I had reached up to hire, I was in this city pretty much on a little postage stamp of a post. We would be mortared every day. We were in a very austere environment, me and my troops. And uh, I, I had radioed up to hire to let them know. And they're like, well, we don't have any assets to give you, but if you want to do something, you know, you have our, uh, you have our blessing. So basically I had borrowed from a, a local infantry company, these old mechanized infantry armored personnel carriers. And I got my whole team. We went out at midnight and we dragged Jersey barriers from all over the city and we shut down the entire area surrounding the Golden Mosque. The next day, you know, the mayor and everyone in the city was up in arms. But, you know, my motto was when they first when I first heard this intelligence, I said, I'm not even sure what the Golden Mosque is other than it's golden and it's a mosque. But I said, (laughs) they're not going to blow it up on my watch. Good for you. And they did it. And what's interesting is my sergeant major, after we had already come back to the U.S., over a year later, it, the Golden Mosque was attacked and was blown up and it caused Ugh. sectarian violence throughout Iraq. It was, it was, I mean, to the point where uh, President Bush discussed it on the news uh, in one of his speeches, the Golden Mosque. And we felt pretty proud that that night, in the middle of the night with those armored personnel carriers, we were able to, just me and my small ragtag team were able to secure that site that night. And Ken, you said you... I think I heard you say you were among the first deployed over there. Is that right? Uh, actually, I was. There, I went there in two thousand four, and we had had. Oh, okay. Yeah, we had troops there earlier since two thousand and three, but pretty soon after it launched, and after the initial invasion, they thought this city was secure. You know, then when the insurgency started, it was a city of over two hundred twenty-five thousand people with no police services, and that was an interesting perspective wow. for someone who is a civilian police officer to see. I mean, there was no one to call people. There was no 911 for these people. And by the time I left, I had built seven precincts and, and it was a hard mission to accomplish. We recruited over 700 police officers. We had them trained. And people, I remember one night, it was surreal. I would go out and do spot checks to make sure that the Iraqi police that we had deployed were doing their job 
And I remember seeing some of the police cars out there, the trucks, these pickup trucks used with lights on at a, at a house in the middle of Samara. And I stopped. I wanted to see what they were doing. And it was a woman who was pregnant and they were taking her to the hospital. And it amazed me at that time in this lawless city where we were being attacked every day, just several months later, after all the efforts we put in, this woman actually had somebody to call to bring her to the hospital because she was pregnant. It almost reminded me of regular policing here in America. You know, I was pretty proud. Of it. It's amazing. Yeah. So after I returned home, I started with the Suffolk County Police Department, where I was ultimately assigned to the Criminal Intelligence Bureau. I worked a lot with criminal street gangs, including the El Salvadoran gang, MS-13. I was one of the first, uh, it was the first field intelligence officer in Suffolk County working with MS-13. I worked on an illegal gun investigation team where I would develop informants and we would wire them up and send them in to buy firearms from gang members and other criminals. Wow. Which kind of segued into what I do now. I was put in charge of leading the executive protection efforts in Suffolk County for the police department. And a lot of people would ask, well, what is that exactly? Why do you have that? Well, Suffolk, it was pretty robust because we have the Hamptons here. So we had a lot of dignitaries visiting Suffolk County. Oh, of course. Yep. I've done over the years details I've led for VP Biden numerous times, the Clintons numerous times, uh, Nancy Pelosi, John Boehner, foreign heads of state, the Supreme Court justice. I can go on forever. In fact, we even had President Obama visit one time. So I, I gained a lot of experience, went to extensive training through the government, the federal government, federal law enforcement training center. I was trained through Blackwater. And I had a lot of experience doing executive protection now. And that's what kind of led me once I retired from government service to start Global Threat Solutions. That's the entry vehicle you used to launch this. It's great training. Man, man that's a ton of training. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I almost can't imagine doing it another way between my military and my law enforcement background. I feel like it was the perfect launch into a field like this and, and to being an entrepreneur in general. So, Ken, the, the marketplace that you walked into in your sector and launched Global Threat Solutions into that. Tell me a little bit about that marketplace and, and the sector and people running it. What are your observations about the status quo at the time? I'll start um, with that question by first uh, just reiterating exactly what Global Threat Solutions is. So it's innovative in itself. Global Threat Solutions, we're a protection and investigations firm. We're 100% veteran owned. We like to think that that in itself is an innovation. And and it's something I have to say that's very attractive to clients. We also re recruit heavily from the military. I have one partner, Chris Schiavo. He's also a retired police officer and he's an aviator and a retired lieutenant colonel from the Air Force Reserves. And our company, basically, we offer executive protection, due diligence and investigative services. So as far as the marketplace goes, we entered a very unique and niche field when we began offering executive protection or EP services, they call it. There's only a few large providers and many smaller firms throughout the country and, and throughout the world, actually. So to set ourselves apart, we try to do things a little differently. Some of the larger firms, they've almost become a, a corporate in their ways as a result. I believe there's a less intimate or a more distant relationship between someone like myself, who is the CEO of my firm and the and the client, the difference between my relationship with them and some of these other companies, um, this become very large. So there's a layering of supervisors and operations managers, and it becomes like any other large company, which is sometimes lacks intimacy and, and a, a closeness between the client. 
The way I feel is that EP work is a very personal business. I think the senior leadership, like myself, has to be within immediate reach of the clients or principals, we call them. That's actually the person we're protecting. No matter how busy we have become, I monitor all communications threads for every detail, protection detail we have going all the time. It's not unlike me where there'll be an operation going on in the other side of the country or even in a, uh, another country, and they'll see me chime in and ask questions and give guidance because I want to know what's going on all the time. And I think that's, I don't think you should ever in this industry grow beyond that because when you do, you're, you're doing your clients a disservice. What do you, what do you, sorry, what do you mean grow beyond that? What does that look like? And you grow very large. Um, in other words, let me use an example. Some of these larger protection firms, they're security, some are owned by security companies. Some are really secu large security companies that become very corporate. You know, they're not getting that CEO on the phone, that client at three in the morning. They're not getting him on the phone probably ever. Um, whereas with me, my clients all have a personal relationship with me. That's how all of our details begin is with me meeting them and finding out what their needs are and, and solve, giving them solutions for those needs. Got it. Okay. Um, so I, I'd say um, I'm always immediately available to speak with any of my clients personally, not my operations manager, not my VP, but me. I think that's critical in this line of work. Uh, another thing I've seen is that when companies become too large, the quantity over quality rule takes place. You know, they, they mass recruit new agents and will do whatever it takes to just fill spots. I've seen some people in this line of work who simply shouldn't be in this line of work. You know, because you often work with other companies in this business, you know, sure. whether through subcontract sub relationships or just you bump into each other doing details where there's maybe more than one principal there at the time. Right. You know, so finally, as companies grow too large, as far as this question goes, as companies grow too large, so does the bureaucracy and the budget. When a client calls me with a specific and unique request, I give them an answer and make it happen right then. No delays while getting permission from supervisors who need permission from managers who need permission from senior leadership. <laughs> right. And they have like a two-week turnaround. The concierge business and people expect concierge service. Yeah, I like that description. That's a good – I like that. That makes good sense. Yeah. So what's the rest of the marketplace like? You've told us – given us a good description of how you – the tight ship that you're running. What's, what's going on in these other places? You mentioned the large ones, but – in general, what, what, what would I find? I would say it's like any other sector, really. Listen, there's some great companies out there. We work with them all the time. Mm -hmm. One thing that's unique about this industry is developing partnerships, strategic partnerships. The protection industry is a difficult one because every one of the 50 states has their own licensing requirements. So rarely, you're not going to find a company who's got a license in all 50 states. It simply doesn't happen that way to do, say, armed security work, right? So, right. We have strategic partnerships and we'll work with other companies in other states or even countries. And there's some great companies there's out there um, and that are doing good work and they really put quality above quantity. That's for sure. And then there's like any other business, <laughs> there's some others that really should. They're really just because they got a security license or they call themselves an executive protection firm. They, they probably shouldn't be in the business because it's not really what they're prepared to do. Now, Ken, you make a, a strong distinction between a security firm and executive protection. Can you talk about that? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, let's, you, you've been to a mall, right? You see like there's some <laughs> security officers in the mall. Sure. The security industry is critical. There's more security officers than police in this country by far. But there's different levels and it takes different requirements, different training. Only certain people, like so many other jobs, have the inherent 
skill set and even the personality traits to be a successful executive protection agent. So, you, you know, a lot of the companies, they, they're offering security guard services and the pay is much less for some of these security guards than it would be for an executive protection agent. I've had people working for me on a detail who made over $200,000 and these are agents, you know, depending on your skill level and what type of a detail you're working and how many hours you work and, and where that is, you demand a lot for that money. You know, the client demands a lot for that money because you need people who could handle a myriad of situations. They have to be able to think on their feet. Many of them have degrees, advanced degrees, extensive military experience and law enforcement experience. So I think that, you know, if you want me to just um, delineate between a security guard and executive protection agent, that's pretty much it. It's the training, the experience that, that you need to have to be able to perform that type of work. Let's talk a little bit further about how you recruit your executive protection agents. Right. So recruiting the right people to serve as executive protection agents is critical. That's what's going to make or break you. Uh, we recruit people with military backgrounds, law enforcement backgrounds, and sometimes people with just extensive private sector security backgrounds. Some of those are our most successful candidates. There is a certain personality that adapts well to this line of work. You need to be incredibly flexible and willing to change your schedule, travel at a moment's notice and work extended hours. You need to be able to stay calm under pressure from deadlines and last minute changes by the client. That takes a certain person. And what I can tell you from having worked in this business for some time now, it's the little things. When I say you have to be able to stay calm under pressure, I'm not talking about necessarily an assassination attempt. I'm talking about when you're bringing a client from Teterboro Airport in New Jersey to Manhattan, and they have a deadline, they have to be there, and there's traffic and, and a road shutdown. That's pressure. When you're dealing with people of high net worth, people who are CEOs, executives in very large firms whose time is so critical, there's a lot of stress involved in every movement you do just to make sure it goes smooth. I always tell people when I'm working, when I'm talking to my agents and we're doing training, a wrong turn is a huge deal in this business. You're in Manhattan, you make a wrong turn and you get your, your principal late for a meeting in 10 minutes, that's a lot of pressure, a lot of stress on somebody. You need to have that right personality to be able to handle things, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so remember, this is a, in fact a concierge business, right? Like I said, it's, it's not all about preventing attacks and assassinations. In our executive protection agent interviews, we like to start by reminding these candidates, and we do, that we do in fact get bags. You know, I've seen former police officers who are used to having a level of authority tell employers or clients, I don't get bags, I'm here for protection. Well, that's not how we roll. I can tell you that's not how companies in this industry roll or should. And that's not how we're looking for. Yeah, protection is our primary function, but you're also a critical part of a client's daily logistics and, and serve as a sort of an executive assistant to them. You're very close to these people. They're with you on a daily basis. You have to be flexible and professionalism is the key. Got it. So you've already announced this, but I find it really interesting where your offices are and especially the new one. Yeah. So we have an office in New York. We have one in Los Angeles, one in Virginia. And now we just launched an office just uh, two months ago in Mumbai, India. And I think that that's an innovation in itself. What we see is an opportunity there in India to offer these types of services. We know of no other legitimate US EP firm offering services there as a registered Indian company with a field office there. That's huge. Yeah, it is. It's, and I got to tell you, it's a tremendous market. I don't, I don't have to explain how, what type of a market India is. Plus, 
it is a hub for foreign companies having key offices there in Bangalore in that area. That vicinity is sort of like their Silicon Valley. You'll see companies from all over the world have big operations there. So we want to serve as a legitimate elite high-end protection firm, full-service protection firm, serving Indian companies as well as foreign companies that have offer services there. And, and as well, of course, as high, people of high net worth or anyone else seeking our services, travelers, people going there, we want to be able to offer those services. And we couldn't think of a better place to have an office with full services than, than in Mumbai. Now, there's one cool story you, you touched on when we were talking offline. Did you remember that? Can you, can you tell me that story? Yeah. So I was contacted to do an interview with a journalist from Topic Magazine. It's a digital magazine. And they have some really good stories and talk about, you know, a broad spectrum of topics. So what was essentially supposed to be what you would probably think of as a traditional interview with her asking me questions and me answering them and then them writing an article, I kind of turned it around a little bit. I suggested to them, I said, I don't only want to tell you what we do. I want to show you what we do. So I said, how about instead of having a static interview, let's make it dynamic. How about this journalist? Um, you will be our principal and we will pick you up just at... at um, a heliport in Manhattan, and we will bring you on an itinerary of meetings and locations and lunch and venues in, in Manhattan, just as we would do with other clients. And at the end of the day, we're going to bring you back to that heliport like we would often do with executives who would be visiting. And they love the idea of it. And we, we had a great interview that day, and she got a firsthand impression of exactly what it is we do. When you told me about that, Ken, uh, that's I had to interview you because that's exactly what I'm talking about with being a troublemaker as an entrepreneur and as anyone in business. How do you, you know, someone presents you an opportunity and you turn it on its head and turn it to your advantage. I just think what you did there is genius. Right. And without uh, uh, giving up uh, who I'm working with, but we have future interviews planned with some pretty big media outlets to, and we're going to do them in the same format because it really worked well. And I legitimately think that it gave them such a better idea of what it is we do. And by the way, while we were doing this, they could come out of character. And so could I. I had agents working this detail. And I was able to actually talk to them and have a legitimate interview in this back of a suburban as we were transporting throughout Manhattan. No, that's great. Yeah. Love that idea. So you're up to a lot of changes, though, uh, that I picked up on. Uh, you're talking about online training courses. Right. As you know, these are unique times we're in. And as the COVID-19 pandemic started, I started to think right away, first of all, take measures immediately to properly serve our clients and things that, you know, changes that would need to be made in this environment where people are still receiving protection services. Everything from PPE, masks, gloves, sanitizing equipment, we've done all of that. Additionally, as an entrepreneur, even in crisis like these, there's always opportunity. Right. People will come out of this. Uh, you know, this is a terrible thing that's happening, but there will be successful entrepreneurs who come out on the other side who what they've done is answered problems. Right. That's what they say. That's the that's what I've learned uh, in, in business courses is that you want to solve problems. Right. Someone has a problem. You enter a solution. That's when you're, you're going to be a successful business. Well, so one of the things we thought about is that. Our training, EP training, traditionally is uh, in-person, classroom-style, hands-on training. And I'm sure that will continue to be an important part of the industry, maybe as things lift, and we'll see what kind of what it looks like on the other side. 
But what we thought about is we wanted to launch an online executive protection training course immediately. And we have. It's uh, Our first class is July 18th. And what's great about it is it's going to be an introduction to executive protection. We have other courses coming out um, in the very near future that'll be specific to the EP industry, like high threat protection. But this course is going to be eight hours and people are going to get uh, transcripts, a certificate, and it's going to be dynamic. They're not going to be just watching a recording. They're going to have live instructors. They're going to have myself. And we're going to be answering questions and interacting with them real time as they take these classes. And especially at the intro level course, I think this is critical because it offers, first of all, it enables people to do the training now in any environment, no matter how much of a lockdown we have. But also it, it opens up our course to people around the world who could, who could log into this remotely and take part in this training, which adds an international perspective. We love the idea of that as well. A lot of people will transition from security guards and being in the security industry, and they want to advance and they want to say, hey, I want to move into the executive protection industry. I think this is a great segue for that. This is a great intro, and they're going to get a credential. And if after that, they wanted to move on and there was some available hands-on training, which, of course, we've, we've always offered those courses, I think there's, there's an opportunity for us right now, and I think it's a great opportunity for people in the industry. You'll always have your traditionalists will say, that's ridiculous. You can't do that. But I don't feel so. I think that this is a great idea and we're going to have a lot of success with it. Well, you've seen a gap in the industry and that's that's your opening. So you're charging in. I love it. Yeah. So speaking of which, and this is where we get down to it, I think, what's driving you to shake up the industry? Why are you the person to do this? What does it mean to you? Well, I've done a lot of reading of successful entrepreneurs, and I love the idea, but I think I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. And I know one of the negatives to of having a career in government service is the <laughs> government service can be very, um, it could serve as an obstacle to innovation. I think there's not too many people who wouldn't agree with me on that, especially people who have worked there before. They kind of like, we do it this way because it's the way we've always done it, right? That's they don't like people shaking things up too much. And if it's not their idea, they don't like it. There's a lot of negative aspects to innovative ideas in government. And even if someone does like the idea, there's so much bureaucracy to get something changed. It was always an obstacle. So when I was, uh, it's, I feel like the shackles were taken off when I left government service. And I, I was able to, by make a decision, I mean, I'm the one who's ultimately responsible for how it goes, but I can make a decision and run with it. And I love that feeling. You know, if I think something's going to work, my partner and I will have that in place and operating the next week. We don't have to wait for red tape and for people's approval and people to get back through emails. And I think that's key if you want to be an innovator. Um, I also just, I like the idea of, I, I feel the most successful business people are people who innovate. You know, let's look at some of the true innovators that we've seen in recent years, like a company like Uber. If you're answering a real I read about quite a bit about that, and there was a there was an issue, there was a problem, right? Uh, in San Francisco, and I had not learned, I did not know this until I read about it. There was a huge problem with taxis and and being able to get around with taxis in San Francisco. It was something about to get yourself a medallion to have one. They had limited them years ago, and there was, simply wasn't enough taxis around. They weren't issuing new ones, and that's what all people would. Uh, thought of ideas, right? Some of the innovators who created Uber, they were thinking, well, I'll hire someone to, to take me out that night and drive me around and then 
because I want to go to dinner and people were waiting an hour or longer to get a taxi. So he created what ultimately became Uber. And I mean, I don't have to explain the success with that model, right? He really answered a problem for people and it expanded way beyond San Francisco. It's just too easy, right? The fact that you're not handling cash and you can do it on your phone, it's innovative. So I would, I think you could really strive for innovation in any industry. And we're striving to do that within this industry. I think there's room for it. Your company's motto is peace of mind in uncertain times. Clearly, we're living in uncertain times. Right. I mean, uh, it, I, I love our motto, and it's even more relevant right now than it has been. So getting beyond COVID, executives are under threat. You said this to me. Executives are under threat now more than ever. What are you seeing out there? What's happening? There's so many different aspects to look at it. I mean, you have to remember, we're not, again, like I said before, there's always going to be the threat, the threat that people would think about, right? which is going to be somebody trying to cause bodily harm to them, kidnap them, ransom. Everybody thinks of these things, right? But there's also so many other aspects to this that, that go into our line of work. One thing is what I said before. Logistics are a tremendous part of our business and getting someone and planning from point A to point B safely and on time and in the proper manner, that's a challenge. Also, we have, it's as far as logistics, we have a challenge to do that. But also there's other things. Maybe it's not uh, an assassination, but maybe it's embarrassment, right? You you also have the mission of uh, protecting your client or your principal from anything that could happen, from them tripping and falling in front of cameras, making sure if there's reporters trying to ambush them somewhere, you can give them a heads up and you're always there watching their back. It's a valuable, a valuable resource for them. It's not all about assassinations. That's a really good point. And I believe I read on your blog about something about that protecting people during a you know when it, when there's a bad news cycle for them and helping them navigate the crowds outside their office and wait waiting to ambush them at a helipad and that kind of thing, right? Right. I mean, that's these are things we've dealt with. Also, you'll get bolos, which is a be on the lookout. Maybe there's a person who shows up at all their events, and we have some what they call protective intelligence. So now we're, we have all of our agents briefed. They have a picture of this person. They're looking for them. Things all going on behind the scenes that you can't just have your staff doing. It's just not going to work. You need people who are trained to do this and, and who have the sole function of doing that. It's key to have those resources when, with somebody who is in a high-profile, important position like that. Right. So what, was a, what were your company's biggest challenges or biggest challenge so far, and how did you get through it? So, you know, I would tell you, I, would, I know this is going to be a, uh, just a broad term, but I'd have to say perseverance. You know, it's almost, it's almost the, the biggest challenge. I, if you, I've read a lot. Again, I like to read about business leaders and, and what their views are. People have already done it. Perseverance, I've heard of so many things and that people say are key, right, to making it. Innovation, obviously, is one of them, right? And just raw intelligence and so many different things. But from the vast majority of my readings, perseverance is number one, never quitting. We have had so many challenges and obstacles throughout starting and launching this business. Issues with licensing, the paperwork, the bureaucracy, people not paying. We have to take, in the beginning, we would be pulling money out of our own savings to pay employees because, yes, we had a good account, but they weren't paying for 60 days and we had tremendous payroll. Every time we've had one of these challenges, I've said to my partner, right now, another company just quit. 
that's what happens. At one point, people are like, all right, this is crazy. I'm done. We gave it a shot, right? Perseverance. Never quitting is the number one attribute, I think, to a successful entrepreneur. I think you nailed that. One of my favorite people in the world was Winston Churchill, and he had so many great quotes about perseverance. And Lord knows, he had lots of opportunities to quit, given what they went through. But I, I think you're absolutely right that that's true of all successful entrepreneurs. Yeah, that's it. You just got to stick with it. What's your secret to sales success? So that, this is a very unique and tricky industry for this. Not security as much as executive protection specifically. You know, so I would say in a nutshell, consistency, trust, and networking. Those would probably be the, the most important things. It's a big networking industry. People you meet one day, even if you're really trying to sell your services, they may not take you up on it. You may get a call from them later. Or maybe it's another EP firm who says, hey, I have a client coming to New York. We need your help. You know, we can't do the work there. We need you to do this for us. Um, we, we do what other companies do, the traditional side of sales, right? And marketing. We have Google ads and we do social media, right? Social media marketing. But it's unique. How many people who are looking for, say, on the corporate side, executive protection services, how many of them are doing a Google search for that? Or how many of them, they're a security director or somebody within their organization knows someone or knows of a company. You know what I mean? Yeah. So really, it's very unique. And I, I'll be the first to say, I have not mastered it. I was just on a, a long conference call today working on strategies. I, I think it's an endless endeavor. You never stop working on your marketing strategy in this industry. Yeah. And, on, and, and a part of that, I believe I'm hearing from you, is your product innovations. You never stop there, it seems like. That's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we never want to just say, okay, this is what we do. Here's our company. And we do what the other executive protection firms do. We always want to look for that opportunity to find an opening. And then, you know, it's, it's going to be that one specific innovation that might set you apart from everybody and, and bring you to the top of your field. All right. And, and I ask this question of everyone I interview, what would you tell your younger self? So that's a tough question. You know, obviously I could tell I could tell him to avoid the mistakes I've made, but I, I'm a firm believer those very mistakes are what makes us who we are. I could also tell him to have started in the private sector earlier in life, to have given me more time to build this business. But at the same time, my careers in law enforcement, in the military, they've, they also have made me who I am. So I, I think those things were critical to have brought me to where I am today. So honestly, I'm not sure I would change anything, but I can tell you I'd love to do it again. It's been a <laughs> hell of a ride, and it's uh, it's only getting better every day. I love that. Well, Ken, this has been a great interview. I really appreciate it. I'm honored, and I just want to say one more thing to you, and I know a lot of people probably have said this to you over many years, but after 9-11, it took on very special meaning for me, and I want to thank you for your service to the country. Well, thank you for saying that. It's a, uh, it was my greatest honor to do it. Global Threat Solutions has offices in New York, Los Angeles, and now Mumbai, India. To learn more about Ken Bombay and Global Threat Solutions, call 888-543-1329. Their Twitter handle is GTS underscore security, but the best bet is their website, globalthreatsolutions.com. While you're on that website, go to the blog and make sure you read one entitled Global Threat Solutions Chosen for Article on the Growth of Executive Protection. It's awesome. And there's a bunch of other great postings on that blog. 
Ken, thanks again for enlightening us on what drives you. I'm excited to see your continued disruption of your industry because I know you're going to keep doing it. Thanks, Steve. I really appreciate you having me on the show. And uh, hopefully, maybe we could talk again in the future. We definitely will. Take care. This has been a Trouble Group podcast. Learn more about us at troublegroup.com. If you're a troublemaker and want to be on the podcast, email steve at troublegroup.com.